Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444, Thursday, October 28th. Today on the show, we will talk with Josh Ward from WNML in Knoxville about the Vols' performance against Alabama and the quarterback situation on Rocky Top. We will talk with Adam Mingan of The Athletic, who will make the case that the Preds' power play might actually be fixed. But we begin with an injury update from Titans practice. Doing major work on your house is very expensive, and it needs to be very thoughtful. This is why you need the Kingston Group, Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned custom home and remodeling firm. My family uses the Kingston Group, and you should too. That's it. That's all you need to know. BuildKG.com is the website. Talk to them. If you are planning on doing anything with your home, check out the website, BuildKG.com, the Kingston Group. Before we get into the Tennessee Volunteers, the Predators, or Nashville SC, let's take a look at the injury report from the Tennessee Titans practice field as they were back out there doing work on Wednesday. Left tackle Taylor Lewan, who of course was carted off the field on Monday night with a concussion, was back in full participation mode on Wednesday. Elsewhere along the offensive line, guard Roger Saffold, not injury-related, just rest, did not practice, and tackle Kendall Lamb with the ankle, who appears on the injury report, uh, but was a full participant in practice. At wide receiver, A.J. Brown was limited. Julio Jones did not practice on Wednesday. And Chester Rogers, who did not play against Kansas City, also did not practice either. On the defensive side of the ball, outside linebacker Bud Dupree with the knee still on a snap count to some degree did not practice on Wednesday. No real major concerns there. Amani Hooker, after coming back and giving it a go against Buffalo, did not play against the Chiefs and was not at practice. Chris Jackson, who got hurt, didn't play against the Chiefs, also not at practice on Wednesday. So that secondary has some issues right now. Some good news, linebacker Jayon Brown, outside linebacker Derek Roberson, and center Aaron Brewer were moved to the designated for return from injured reserve list earlier in the day. They all practice. That means they're working their way back and could see action here soon over the course of the next couple of weeks. Of course, the Titans will practice again on Thursday and Friday before heading to Indianapolis on Saturday for Sunday's game in the AFC South. This team is still just battling injuries across the board. There's nothing too severe to be concerned about here, although not having Julio Jones out there is a concern, especially the, the number of snaps he's played in recent games. But I, I do think that as time goes along, this team seems to be getting healthier. I know they just can't afford any more season-ending injuries. They can still withstand some of these small dings and bangs and bruises that will get better as the season goes along, especially with that late bye week. But... They just cannot afford any major injuries. Sure, Taylor Lewan missed a game. They can overcome a game here or there from some of their star players. The real key is avoiding the major injury at key positions, in particular in the secondary and along the offensive line. So there's your practice report from Wednesday. Back on the practice field on Thursday. It is Thursday. That means we head up to Knoxville to talk with WNML's Josh Ward. Josh underscore Ward on the Twitters. Make sure you give him a follow. Josh, good to see you, man. Um, how should fans take the loss to Alabama is it a close game in the fourth quarter or is it a 25 point blowout that you give up a 50 burger and Alabama covers the spread what how should Tennessee fans evaluate that game it is both and I do think the fourth quarter is a reminder that that gap still exists that Alabama is still a championship contender and Tennessee is a is a program that is in rebuild mode trying to get to where Alabama is and truthfully, the road is still a long one to get to where Alabama is, where Georgia is as a program. But where the culture is, is where Tennessee fans, I think, hoped in year one, where the players are fighting, where the offense is good enough to be able to go take shots, 
hit some of them to be able to make it a, a more competitive game to where at halftime you're not saying, all right, what else should we do? At halftime, Tennessee fans are saying, let's see what happens in the second half. And I don't think you can ask for much more than that. There's some positives on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot of work to be done. There's personnel upgrades that needs to happen on the defensive side of the ball. But there are good things in year one that you hope to see that I think Tennessee has shown. And I think I agree with that. And we'll talk about the Kentucky game next week as far as actual wins and losses in Josh Heupel's first season. What about off the field whether it's recruiting, whether it's the booster circuit, the rubber chicken circuit, uh, winning over fans. Like, I know it's too early to really sort of have any definitive statements on, on, on necessarily the recruiting class per se. But is, in your opinion, is Josh Heupel doing all those other things as well as building a competitive team on the field? I think off the field, Josh Heupel has a personality that is likable. I thought it was kind of funny, maybe not funny, but notable that during the offseason, took a little bit more time for fans to warm up to Josh Heupel. Now, he doesn't have a a big marketing personality for the program, but I I think he's more relatable than some coaches that have been at Tennessee, than the previous coach that was at Tennessee. But because of the previous issues that Tennessee football has had, I think fans were slower to get excited about this season. And then the offense went out there and put up a bunch of points, and fans started to get excited. So off the field, I, I think fans should feel good about that. But when we talk about personnel upgrades, where Tennessee wants to go, That does come back to recruiting, and there is more work that needs to be done. Recruiting rankings don't tell us everything, but they give us some kind of guide. Again, look at Alabama and Georgia, and currently, with several weeks to go before this class is signed, Tennessee ranks in the 30s. Well, that's nowhere close to where Tennessee hopes to be to compete for championships. So while everything that we're seeing on the field and things that we're hearing behind the scenes are really good, ultimately, Tennessee is going to need the players to match the expectations that will come in the future. What does this quarterback position look like in the short term and the long term? Well, Hendon Hooker right now has provided that spark that we're talking about with the offense because it was not there in the short window that we saw Joe Milton at quarterback. And Tennessee is down to Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton in the quarterback conversation right now with Harrison Bailey announcing he's entering the transfer portal. Taven Jackson is a well-thought-of quarterback that is committed. That's a bright spot in this class. But I haven't had anybody tell me Taven Jackson's coming in to be ready to be the guy right away as a freshman. Maybe he could be, but I think that would be a surprise. Hendon Hooker has another year of eligibility. Tennessee needs him to take that option and to come back. And if that's the case, then I think you feel really good about him having a full offseason to prepare in the system. Remember, he was not that guy this past offseason. He competed in the spring. Then he competed in August with most people knowing, yeah, it's going to be Joe Milton that gets to be the starter. So if he can have a full off season, having played in this offense for uh, a season, and then you're able to continue to develop the offensive line while you have to probably replace uh, at least a a key player or two, that gives you something to build on. But uh, Hendon Hooker at the quarterback position has provided a big spark right now. And I think he's really important for the 2022 season. A couple guys on this podcast thought that Hendon Hooker should be taking all the reps from the beginning, but that's neither here nor there. Josh Ward, of course, WNML in Knoxville. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore Ward. Always a pleasure, my friend. Good to talk to you. You got it. Thank you. After Tuesday night's win over San Jose and another power play goal triggering that win, the Nashville Predators now have a top five power play in the NHL. After years of having massive issues on special teams, 
Is it sustainable? We don't know. But as of right now, part of the reason the Nashville Predators have won two straight is because they are finding lots of success on the power play. Number two in the NHL in power play goals. Number four in the NHL in power play percentage. So I asked Adam Vingen of The Athletic on the Gold Standard Podcast this week to explain what he's seen. What is the difference for the Nashville Predators power play? Okay. You know, and, and the interesting thing about the power play, John Hines had a very detailed answer about it on Tuesday morning. But, you know, to boil it down to its essence, he said that the power play is unpredictable to the opponent, but it's predictable to us. And, and that's what's important. The one thing about the Predators power play, and there's another Simpsons related gif I used to use of the of the soccer team passing the ball around the perimeter when Peter was here, because the power play, that's basically what the power play was. It's work the puck to the point, have Roman Yossi or PK Subban or Ryan Ellis shoot a, shoot a puck from the point, hope for second chance opportunities. And, you know, a lot of the power play was spent just passing it around the top of the zone and, and maybe only getting a couple shots off. Um, but now the power play, it does feel unpredictable. It, it feels like the opponent, I, I feel like before the power play, the opponent knew what to do. And, and that's part of the pre-scouting process. But it felt like there wasn't a lot of adjustments that opposing penalty kills had to make. It's like, okay, we know what's going to happen. So just, you know, stand here and you'll be fine. But now, <laughs> you know, the way they enter the zone is different every time. The way they move the puck around seems to be different every time. You know, I, you know it's good. It's, it's really good just because the power play, you know, has been you know, a, a thorn in the Predators' side for, for several years. I mean, go back to the series against Dallas in the 2019 playoffs when they did not score a single power play goal. And, and then Pierre Laviolette, in perhaps his most open moment as Predators head coach, spent like six minutes after the season explaining everything that went wrong with the power play. Basically, I have no answers would have sufficed. Yes, you know, when when I think Matt Duchesne said it last night or, you know, or Tuesday night, rather, that the top power play unit, you know, Roman Yossi, Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg and Mikhail Granlund, you know, they're they're not just top offensive players. They're also leaders on the team. And, and Matt said that as those leader as leaders, they feel as if, though, there's a, you know, a certain responsibility that they have to have in terms of leading the charge on special teams. And I, and I think you're starting to see that, you know, from the eye test, that it looks a lot cleaner. It looks a lot more, uh, it looks a lot less static, you know, guys not just standing around getting to their spots and, and waiting for the puck to come to them. So it's good. You know, like I said, you know, the likelihood of them sticking at more than 30% is, is low, but you know, it, 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 it is a good sign that it finally feels that after years of, of <laughs> dealing with these issues, they finally seem to have uh, figured it out. Obviously, a power play at this level is not sustainable, but still, being a good power play unit for the first time in years would be a huge step in the right direction for this Nashville Predators franchise and could be the difference between getting into the playoffs, competing for a playoff spot, and being in 6th or 7th place in the Central Division. So if you want more information, in-depth conversation about Matt Duchesne, all of the stars, the sellout streak, what's happening with the Chicago Blackhawks, and a whole lot more Nashville Predators conversation, make sure you download, rate, review, subscribe to the Gold Standard Podcast with myself and Adam Vingan. Out every single Thursday, everywhere podcasts are found. As you know, the 440 brought to you, of course, by the Kingston Group, our great friends who are award-winning, locally owned, and have been doing business in Nashville for over a decade because they're great at what they do. That's it. 
They're, they're like a Titans defensive line performance against the league MVP. Check out the website, buildkg.com. The Kingston Group, trust your home with nobody else. The Kingston Group are the people you need to talk to. Thank you guys all for listening. Please share the product. Tell somebody about it. It means a whole lot to us. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the 440 for Thursday, October 28th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.